This is The Guardian. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here, coming to you from Gadigal Land for our Full Story Summer Series. And I am joined in the studio by audio producer Ellen Lee Beater. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, Ellen, you put us all to shame basically every morning when you've come into work and already done like a triathlon, some sort of long distance swimming. This is true, correct? Yes, I do do a lot of sport, but I'm going to introduce you today to someone who does even more sport than me, if you can wrap your head around that. Hello. Hi. I'm going to shoot an open door means. Come on in. Yeah, how are you? Even more sportier than Ellen. I think that's not possible. (laughs) Well, I want you to put aside the idea of what's possible and what's impossible because this is a story that's not necessarily about the result but about the resolve. Why did you set this record? Why did you want to set this record? I wanted to do it because it's hard and I was really craving doing something hard because... In our day-to-day, sometimes I feel like just stuck in it and we're just doing what we do. And I wanted to pull out of that and just do something really ridiculous um, to push out the sides of what's possible. This is one of my cycling friends. Her name's Christina Rivers. She's 42. She's got two kids, a partner called Nick, and she lives on Sydney's northern beaches. I've known her for a few years now. We cycle in the same club and ride together most Wednesdays. I'm just like a small, normal little person. It's not like I'm a pro cyclist background or I have enormous capability. For me, it was really more the boundary pushing around mindset and doing something really so far out of my comfort zone. In September last year, Christina set out to break the Trans-Australia Guinness World Record. She wanted to be the fastest female to cycle across the country. That's cycling 4,000 kilometres from Cottesloe Beach in Perth to Manly Beach in Sydney, from the Indian Ocean to the Pacific Ocean with the arid Nullarbor in between. As far as I can tell, only one other female has attempted this, and that's the person who currently holds the record, set in 1998 by a woman named Helen Shelley. Uh, The current record was 13 days, 2 hours, so we were aiming for 12 days, which would mean roughly 340 kilometres of cycling a day. So 340 kilometres a day, how far is that? Like from Sydney to... I think of it as like Sydney to Canberra, which is about 300 kilometres a day. Mm. And she's doing that every day? Yes, for 12 days. This still sounds fairly impossible to me, Ellen, but take it away. In preparation for the Trans-Australia attempt, Christina had been cycling about two to 300 kilometres a week for a while. This was slightly derailed in the immediate period before she set off. Some overseas travel, COVID, those pesky colds that do the rounds in a family. One of my friends was walking up this gentle rise with me and she looked at me and she said, are you really going out to ride across the country next week because you're out of breath right now? Um, So I was going into the ride with a bit of a fitness deficit. Not where you would have liked to have been. Not where I would have liked to have been. My coach felt that I should still give it a go because he felt like my mindset would carry me through and that my body would catch up. When you think about 
all the things that are going through your mind prior to this attempt. Yep. What did you think the big obstacles were going to be? Going into this attempt, I had thought about the obstacles being the fact that I was physically a little immune compromised. And I tend to often feel my throat as a weak point. So I get, I'll get quite sick from a chill. Having grown up in Canada, everyone says you should love the cold, but it's actually scarred me for life. And <laughs> I don't like the cold. So I was, I did a lot of prep work and making sure that I had the right supplies with me in case I had a throat infection. Um, I didn't think I would have any other failing points because I had never experienced any kind of physical injury related to cycling previously. I was really visioning that finishing, like finishing in Manly, and I was imagining my children being there and all my close friends and family and that feeling of elation of doing something successful and winning and completing. I was really um, kind of hung up on that excitement of the feeling I was going to attain. The record attempt begins at 3.45am Australian Western Standard Time, Monday, the 22nd of September, 2022. The custom is to dip your rear wheel in the Indian Ocean. So that's what you did? Yeah. yeah. Four, three, two, one, go. Nick is the support car, following along with Christina. He's the accommodation, the cook, the coach, videographer, navigator. I am am horrible with directions. I always get lost. I really promise you, I really do. It's the norm, not the exception. I had the directions loaded and still getting out of Perth, I made a couple wrong turns, even following the map. And Nick knew I was going to get lost, so he was right behind me pretty quickly and making sure that I got out of Perth. Yeah, so I got out and then there's like a little bit of a climb to get kind of beyond the urban areas. And I just, and the sun was rising and I was like, yeah, I'm feeling my jam. I'm like, this is so fun. This is where I'm meant to be. It felt really good. The plan Christina's following to hit her daily kilometre target It's a plan that was used by a guy called Mark Beaumont. Mark is the world record holder for the fastest male circumnavigation around the world by bike, completing it in 78 days. Interestingly, Mark also doesn't see himself as the best or the fastest athlete. He's been described as your garden variety man, another person whose athletic endurance seemingly comes from within. When Mark circumnavigated the world, he did it in four four-hour blocks of riding, 16 hours total in the saddle. Christina followed this plan, as you heard, 4am start. Then she'd ride till 8am, 20-minute breakfast break. That pattern continued throughout the day until her final block from around 5 to 9pm-ish. So get 9.30 into bed by about 10 and then up again at 3. That's how it looks on paper conceptually, so 16 hours of riding time. Had you ever ridden 16 hours of riding in a day before? Um, I think once. (laughs) Yeah. On day one, Christina beats her target. She hits 365 kilometres. She records a video. It's 9.30pm and we're just at base camp here on the side of the road and Nick's making some 
food, and it was an awesome day one. Here, Christina gives a thumbs up. She's wearing a huge parka because by now it's freezing. But her eyes are bright and there's a satisfied smile on her face. Great shoulders and not too much traffic. Just a little tickle in my throat, but um, try and keep it easy and just get through the day. So looking forward to tomorrow. And I was feeling great. So I was imagining, I was like, yeah, what if I start riding 400 kilometers every day? I'll get there in 10 days, not 12. And just really kind of postulating this success and feeling really energized about what we were doing and that it was all going to be possible for us. On day two, Christina's on the bike on time, 4 a.m. Okay. Good morning. Great sleep. Stars are out. In the video... Christina's putting on her gloves and she's wearing multiple layers to keep warm. When she starts of a morning, it can be as cold as minus three degrees. I'm ready to hit the road. Have fun. Christina says the morning is the best block. Because the first hour, first 60 to 90 minutes would be in the darkness. So that was just like kind of like a warm up, the, a slow ride and I'd have a coffee on the bike and I'd just be there under the stars, just rolling along. And then I'd hear like little bird song. And then because I was riding east, I would actually see the sunrise right in front of me. And so every day I'd see this beautiful sun, the colors spread out and the day open. That was one of the most specialist moments because then at that time at the morning, there wasn't a lot of traffic. So it was really just me in the road and just this wide open space. It was really um, wild. It was a wild space. So I would just allow myself to be in that space and absorb it and kind of be part of the opening of the day. As the day wears on, the realities of this record attempt begin to materialize. Day two, I think psychologically, is always a hard day because you realize the task ahead is really enormous. One of the first things to go south is the four-hour riding block. So what I didn't realize for me being a female... In this case, quite literally. ...is I actually used a lot of time every time I needed to pee. So that brought my four hours probably down by half an hour because I have to pull over to the side of the road, find a bush, walk over to a bush, take off all my gear... For the uninitiated, cyclists wear what's called nicks. They're more comfortable because you have padding around your bum and they've got these, like, suspenders that go over your shoulders. It's easier if you're a bloke to have a roadside stop, but for a woman, you've got to take off any layers you're wearing over these suspenders, pull the suspenders down, pull your pants down, and then answer nature's call. If I do that a couple times, it takes actually, yeah, it's actually quite a lot of time taken up. And did you need to go to the bathroom regular? Like how often? <laughs> Pretty often, you know, <laughs> like you normally do because I was consuming a lot of liquids Yeah. because for me, um, consuming calories was easier done through liquids than eating because I was on the bike. So all of those liquids <laughs> means I needed to use the, <laughs> use the bush facilities a bit. <laughs> On day two, Christina is 19 kilometres short of her target. Nick sets up camp early because he's worried about Christina riding tight. I think he was nervous because I was wandering a bit on the road and he thought we had this extra bit. I was still fine. Get a good rest. 
just keep going. So we were still in the mindset of, you know, those breaks were really important because they set you up for longer term success. Day three, Christina comes up short again and the wind is starting to pick up. I heard that there's going to be more severe headwinds tomorrow for the next three days, that's what I'm told. And I just want to say to the wind, um, I'm coming anyways. This is probably the most optimistic I've ever seen a cyclist talk about headwind. And I think it says something about Christina's mindset. No cyclist likes a headwind. It's like cycling through molasses. You push and you push and you get nowhere. The only outcome you achieve is tiring yourself out. It wasn't meant to be like this. Christina says they specifically picked this time of year because they were supposed to have a tailwind. This time of year, the prevailing wind is westerly, but because, and that's why we chose this time of year, because of these new weather um, systems coming in, it moved it to this easterly. Um, but before we left, because Mark Hardy was looking at the weather science for us. Mark Hardy, founder of Weather Zone, he's a meteorologist who helped advise Christina and Nick, the weather being a vital factor in whether you achieve or abandon a world record cycle across the country. And he said there's a slight headwind, but it's, it's low, so he felt it was okay. And so we were expecting low, moderate potential headwinds or crosswinds. What she got was 35 kilometre an hour headwinds with 45 kilometre an hour wind gusts. Day five, Christina's hoping to cross the border into South Australia. The wind has other ideas. The headwinds picked up and that was the day that um, the headwinds were so hard and the, um, and the trucks that I really felt vulnerable. Christina, this tiny crumb on Highway 1, is not only battling the wind, but the road trains that are passing her. These are 100-tonne trucks pulling multiple trailers that can be over 50 metres long. Think of you standing on the sidewalk as a bus drives past and the wind pushing you back. A standard bus is 12 metres long, around 20 tonnes, so that gives you a baseline for what 100 tonnes passing you on a highway might feel like. And I had that crash as well. It wasn't a bad crash, but it just startled me. What happened? Um the wind gusts knocked me into the road. I wasn't going fast enough for the crash to have that much impact, but I still cut open my knee and my shoulder, banged my head, and luckily there wasn't a car coming at that time because I was in the middle of the road. And um, like the last couple hours riding into camp that night, I was just crying nonstop. I'm just using my entire body to hold my bike upright especially when the trucks are moving and then the wind from the truck pretty much gushes me to a standstill or from behind it goes like this and I'm so constantly bracing. On the side of the road Christina sits in the rooftop tent looking exhausted the canvas whipping in the wind behind her. I'm going to put this as a tally uh, win for the wind. Um, loss for Christina because 
I don't know if you can hear that, but it is really strong and it is directly, it's like a wall directly in front of me. With the abrupt end to day five, Christina manages a total of 159 kilometres. That's the day we made the decision to sleep the rest of the afternoon, wake up at midnight, and then ride it from midnight to get more hours with less wind. Waking up at 11.30 at night and then getting on the bike, I moved so slowly because I still had the saddle sores. So if you can imagine like open wounds in your bottom and you're basically putting pressure by sitting on them. My knees hurt, um, my energy was low. It's in the middle of the night, I'm all by myself. Um, I was just really slow. Despite the early start, the extra hours in the saddle, Christina only clocks 200 kilometres. She's on the bike for 20 hours total time at an average speed of 16 kilometres an hour. And so that night, we slept at the Nullabar Roadhouse and I was kind of feeling probably by that night that the record was lost. Um, because we had ridden so slowly and I had really given it everything yeah. and we weren't getting anywhere. Is this just something you're thinking to yourself? Have you said anything to Nick at this point? Um, no, I haven't. He wouldn't hear that anyways. He was so follow the process. We're going to get there. Next, Christina tries to finish what she started. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here with a quick note about The Guardian. As you're probably aware, Guardian Australia's journalism is editorially independent, meaning we set our own agenda. We don't have a billionaire owner, nor do we answer to shareholders, so we're free from commercial bias. And this independence matters because it means we're able to challenge the powerful and hold them to account. Unlike many news organisations, we have not put up a paywall. We chose a model that means our reporting is open to everyone and funded by our readers who can afford to pay. Every contribution, whether big or small, counts. If you're able to contribute and have a minute, head to theguardian.com forward slash support full story. We've also linked to this on the full story page. Thanks. On day seven, at 6am, Christina gets on her bike, knowing but not yet admitting the record is gone. So if you're already thinking to yourself, I think the record's gone. Yeah. How do you keep going? I was still committed to finish. So for me, what mattered was doing what I said I was going to do. And potentially things could change. She was aiming for 320 kilometres. She got 224. This is no longer a story about great athletic achievement of doing something successful and winning, of breaking a Guinness World Record. It's a story of completion. And Christina's now got another obstacle to contend with. Along with the wind, her knees are giving her grief. I um, basically just crawled here. My knees are on fire. 
they started to make it impossible for me to put any load into the pedal. On her indoor bike, Christina showed me how she was cycling at this point in the ride. Trying to ride easy like that maybe. I watch her slowly, gingerly move her leg up and down. The whizzing of the wheel slows. Pressure. So no pressure. Let's just go light like that. This is what it should sound Um, like. This is what it did sound like. Yeah, probably something like this. And then so you can see every revolution, there is a bend in the knee. And so it would be stab, 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 stabbing pain. On the road, her failing knees were pushing even finishing this challenge beyond reach. And um, I'm saying to Nick, you've got to get me some help. He was Googling every physiotherapist in a like 300-kilometre radius. Um, it was a weekend and a holiday Monday, so there wasn't any responses. She messages her bike fitter, who suggests raising the seat post, changing her shoes. She's taking Nurofen every four hours. She's got ice strapped to her knee. She's on the foam roller at stops trying to release some of those tight muscles around her knees. Day eight, day nine, Christina's still going, 342 kilometres total across the two days. Day 10, Christina's almost halfway. Welcome. Thank you. What's the name of this town? Kimba. Kimba? Kimba. Halfway across Australia according to them, but not according to geography. Not according to the route Christina was taking. Halfway on her route is Seduna, about 300 kilometres west of Kimba. If she had been on target for her record, Christina should have been passing Griffith by now, in central west New South Wales. Instead, she's a 1,000 kilometres away in Port Augusta in South Australia. And the weather is about to get even worse. I'm cycling through this beautiful um, farm country, and it's not raining at the minute, but um, don't expect it to be a rainless afternoon, so... Um. (laughs) Let's see what comes. Mark Hardy was helping us out the whole time. He was on the phone to Mark, and Mark's like, look, what you experienced on the Nullabar, when you get to New South Wales, it's that worse. Because this is the weekend where we had all the flooding. Yeah. In in the Victoria regions, that's where we were going to be cycling through. It's hard to differentiate one of the flooding events among all of the flooding events in 2022. But this was the one hitting western and central New South Wales. Warnings of rivers already full, ground saturated, a month's worth of rain in a few days. Because there would have been road closures. Um, So with road closures, we would have had to deviate our route, which would have meant more distance. What's going on between you and Nick and Mark at this point? Like, what are the discussions that are happening? So Nick's having a discussion with Mark. Nick is adamant that I'm going to, I'm still going to finish. So he's constantly on the phone with his mom, my mother-in-law, who's looking after our two children, asking if she can bring them to the airport to fly them to us, or if she could drive halfway to meet us somewhere and he would go pick them up. Nick's mom has been looking after their two kids for what is now almost two weeks. It wouldn't be a problem if Christina was on time breaking the record. Extending their trip just so Christina can finish is a big ask. And she said no. 
of course, because she'd been looking after them for two weeks on her own. And we just didn't, like, realize how ridiculous that sounded. Still, Nick and Christina are trying to work out all combinations of logistics. Could the kids fly to the nearest airport and Nick pick them up? Could Christina do the final 1,500 kilometres on her own and Nick goes to pick up the kids? On the night of day 10, they go into the tent, undecided but hopeful. But when we woke up on the 11th, the idea was that I potentially could keep riding. Um, The wind was picked up and it was worse. Like I was standing still and it was almost blowing me over. It just, it wasn't possible. This isn't a story of completion anymore. So we packed up tent and, um, and um, you know, then we had, you know, the one day to drive back, which was really just enough time. Sometimes sheer willpower, mindset, isn't enough. I felt really defeated because my knees didn't work. They were really sore and I didn't know what to do. Could you walk? Not really well. And it's, I mean... When, you're, when you get injured, but you've succeeded, this success takes away the sting of the injury. But if there's no success, there was no celebration, there was no well done, and the body's in so much pain, and we depleted so much of our resources, and then it just felt like this void of nothingness. It didn't help that a week after Christina packed it in, Ned Brockman captured the nation's attention by finishing a similar journey, Perth to Sydney, except he was on foot. Ned's someone who loves a challenge and seeing what the body's capable of. That's why he set himself the goal of trying to break a Guinness World Record, a fastest run across the country, 100 kilometres a day for 40 days. Ned also fell short of his goal. He made it to the other side in 46 days. Still, crowds came to Bondi Beach to watch him cross the finish line. just an incredible man and it is just so nice to be here seeing all of these people welcome him and embrace him. Uh, very quickly after day one I realised it was much more than uh, breaking the record. It was more about the you know showing up and showing that people can do a whole lot more in their lives and you know being an inspiration for people. But with time and space, Christina has a new perspective on her failure. And she wants you to know that she did fail. I was telling everyone around me I failed and they were saying, no, you didn't. You, like so many people told me how I inspired them or um, how connected they felt to the adventure and what I achieved. And what I realized is they didn't want what I experienced to be a failure, but I had set out to do something and what I had set out to do didn't happen. And I think that's okay. Christina's perspective is, if we only ever see the wins and the finish line glory, it's off-putting. Dare I say, impossible. Failure, meanwhile, is totally attainable. Because I think sometimes we get so consumed by the success of things that it limits people from starting or trying to do things because it seems unattainable to get that success. And so we put all these limits on ourselves 
without really knowing what's possible because we're not trying the bigger, harder thing, which where failure is a real possibility. It's hard not to hear a story like this and not put Christina on a pedestal. She's just so much stronger than me or I don't have that mindset or that level of endurance. I could never do that. They're all excuses, right? Maybe Christina and Mark Beaumont and Ned Brockman or anyone who sets themselves these challenges. Maybe they are aberrations. Maybe they do have something in them that the rest of us don't. Or maybe they've just tapped into something that the rest of us have forgotten how to do. I think it's really good messaging for um, for my girls in seeing me try things that I'm not sure I can do, but be okay with that, and um, like keep the hard work going regardless of whether or not I achieve something at the end, because um, that's not the point. The point is doing the hard thing itself so that we grow. Yeah, and they're coming on the next attempt. Really? Yeah. In in the in the. In the support car. Yeah. <laughs> so you keep talking about the next attempt. Yep. You're going to try this again. Yes. So I think, like, we set out to do get a record. And we learned a lot. And I think that we can go back stronger and try and get it next time. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christina's next attempt is planned for early 2023. That was Ellen Lee Vita, an audio producer at Guardian Australia and the supervising producer of the Summer Series. Thank you to Christina Rivers for her time and also thanks to Nicholas Rivers. This episode was produced by Ellen Lee Vita, Daniel Simo, Emily Waterson and Karishma Luthria. Sound design and mixing by Daniel Simo. The executive producer of this episode was Gabrielle Jackson. Thanks for listening.